Well, good morning again. Hey, we're going to be talking about a judgment that no one here wants to be at. That's the great white throne judgment. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. This is a judgment of the lost. So if you would, stand for reading of God's word. We honor God by standing when we read his word. Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Father, we thank you that we have your word to guide us in life. We thank you that we're living in times of change and that you have given us the, really the prophetic word to help us to have an idea of what is coming so that we do not panic and we're not disturbed and we're not all running around in circles, but we are grounded in your word and trusting you to take us through until you take us home. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to each heart today things that we need to hear. Lord, this is a judgment verse. The whole book of Revelation has to deal with judgment after judgment after judgment. This all culminates here for the lost at the great white throne. And their eternal destiny has been confirmed by them rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ their whole lives. What a sad thing. And it casts into the lake of fire. Oh, Father, open our eyes to the truth of your word. Speak to us. Speak to each person here. We need to hear from you today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, you know the theme of Revelation is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment, and Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, we learned last time who's going to be reigning in the millennial kingdom. There are going to be three groups. Number one, the church that has been raptured. When we come back, we'll reign in the millennial kingdom. Also, the Old Testament saints, they'll have ruling authority. And we know that the tribulation believers that were martyred will also reign in the millennial kingdom. I want to give a clarification from last week. Now, we talked about overcomers. Remember, the word is nikeo, victors, conquerors. And I said that overcomers are those who will be ruling with Jesus, and I truly believe that. But I want you to also know that every person that has believed that Jesus Christ is their Savior is considered an overcomer because of what Jesus has done for them. And it's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, is a victor over the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. All believers who are in union with Jesus Christ, that have believed and received the gift of salvation, are considered overcomers because of what Jesus has done. But the issue is this. Who will reign in the kingdom? That is the issue. Now, I think the ones that will reign will be the ones who are rewarded at the Bema Seat Judgment. And we talked about the Bema Seat Judgment in the past. That's the judgment for the believer's works after salvation. I always make a clarification. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not of works lest any should boast. This is something that we do because we love the Lord Jesus and we're going to be faithful to Him and He will give us rewards. Remember, rewards are loss of rewards depending upon what we do for Him. We also know that there is a scripture in 2 Timothy 2.12 that says this, if we endure, then we will reign with him. There seems to be a qualifier there. If we endure, then we will reign. Not every believer, I don't believe, will, will reigning. That word endure is hupomeno, and it means patient with circumstances. This is faith with patience. Endure the load, the ministry, the, the misery, the persecutions, the provocations that life brings. You're patient with circumstances. This does not describe every believer. Actually, Revelation chapter 2, verse 26, gave us more clarification on this. He who overcomes and keeps my works does what I've asked him to do. Those are the ones. To him I will give the power. And you remember that word power? Exousia. The administrative authority to reign and rule under Christ in the millennial kingdom. The first resurrection 
is for believers only. The second resurrection and the second death are for unbelievers, and that's what we see at the great white throne. Now, I want you to hear something, and please listen carefully, because there's a lot of people that are going to be shocked when they are at this great white throne judgment. There's all kinds of people who think they're going to be there because they're a good person. I did a lot of good stuff in my life, and certainly God's going to let me into his kingdom. They will be shocked. Other people who believe in their church tradition, their church tradition, I followed what the church told me to follow, and they did not really believe and receive the gift of salvation, they're going to be shocked. And then you have the spiritual person and the sincere person. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. That's right. And then there's the really nice person. Like, how could God ever do that? No, there's nobody. How do we know that there's nobody nice and there's nobody good? Because Scripture tells us, doesn't it? Isaiah 64, 6. All of our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. What does it say in Romans 3, 10? There is none righteous, no, not one. Hey, you guys have, you can give the talk. You guys can all do the talk here today, yes. But I would suggest to you this. Matthew 7, 22 and 23 is particularly sobering and speaks of the people that will be at judgment and will be shocked when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Watch what he says here. Many will say to me in that day, that's judgment day, Lord, Lord, remember kurios, kurios, master, ruler, owner, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonderful works in your name? And Jesus said, it will declare to them, I never knew you. And can you imagine for eternity those words echoing in your mind? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If you have a continual, habitual, giving over, giving over, not in the battle, not in the struggle. Look, each one of us has a, has, has a weakness, folks. Each one of us has something we struggle with. Stay in the struggle. Don't give up and say, I can't do this. I'm, this is just the way I am. I'm, my daddy was an adulterer. I'm going to be an adulterer or whatever your thing is. No, you don't, you don't just give in to that. You don't give in to that. Titus 1.16 is also eye-opening. They profess to know God, but by their works they deny Him. Being detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. They profess to know God, but by their works they deny Him. Make sure that you have believed in, put your trust in, Jesus Christ as your sin-bearer, as your Savior. Accept no other substitutes. No other world religion will substitute for you. Jesus said it very specifically in John 14, 6. You know this by heart. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. So, all of these who have rejected Jesus Christ will be at the great white throne judgment. And the fact is this, everyone will be judged. Our sins, where were our sins judged? It was judged on the cross. All of our condemnation, all of the wrath of God was poured out on His Son. I won't experience the wrath of God. I will never experience the condemnation of God because Jesus bore it all. But for these at the great white throne, they have no bearer of sin. They have no Savior. And they are going to be suffering the condemnation and wrath of God forever. Now in verse 11, the question is this. Who is the judge? Who is the one that the scripture is talking about here? Then I saw a great white throne. This is a picture of judgment. Make no mistake. And him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Judgment. And there was found no place for them. Now the scripture doesn't tell us specifically who this person is on the throne. But we can allow scripture to interpret scripture. And in John chapter 5, verse 22, we know that all judgment has been given to the Son. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. The great white throne judge, I believe, is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. In John 5, 23, Jesus, God gives us an, an, an answer. Why does the judgment go to the Son? that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now look, at this is telling us something. 
This tells us that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triunity of God, complex unity, three persons, one God. Remember we had the overhead here of the picture of this. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, different persons, all overlapping, all in perfect harmony and unity, something that we have no idea of how to understand. That type of unity. Never having a thought that was contrary to one another. Always walking lockstep with one another. Remember, we've, we've, I shared the Shema with you in, in our dedication of the babies. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, our God, our Elohim is one God. That word one is echad, echad, and it means one and united, complex unity, three persons, one God. The final judgment at the great white throne will be Jesus Christ himself, the one who died for their sins, and they rejected him, he will be their judge. It's really as simple as this. Hear this. Receive the grace of God now, or receive the wrath of God later. It's really that simple. And I want to also suggest to you something that people are very aware of. Most people are aware of the love of God. And it is amazing. God's love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is a God of love. It's, a, it's off the charts how much he loves us. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. And those things are awesome and those things are real. But also, which is ignored in most of Christendom and in the world, is that God's wrath is real. It's terrifying. It's amazing how people will focus on God's love and ignore His righteousness, His holiness, and His wrath. Those are real also. Now, I want to talk to you about the wrath of God for just a second. God's wrath is described in two Greek words. Actually, there's more than that. There's about seven of them, but two main ones that we see in Scripture. One is orge and one is thumos. Orge is the settled wrath of God. The simmering wrath of God. The building up of pressure of the wrath of God. And it's much like this next picture of you'll see of a dam. Holding the water back. The wrath of God just eking out here. This is the orge of God. It's simmering. It's building up. That sort of thing. Oh, but the thumos of God. It's the bursting forth of the wrath. No longer contained. Unsuspecting people think that they are okay. I'm fine. No problem here. Don't worry. Be happy. And they have no idea that this is what's coming. The wrath of God. When this thing bursts forth, the thumos of God comes forward. And then the next slide. These unsuspecting people have no idea what's coming. Folks, God's wrath is real. And it can all be avoided because God sent His Son to take all of mankind's wrath. And if you simply believe and receive the gift of salvation, you will never, never experience this thumos, this outburst of wrath of God. That is so important. So important. So, with the millennium ending, with the millennium ending, we're going to see another cataclysmic event that is happening. Heaven and earth fled away. What does that mean? What does that mean? The earth, the earth will be gone. The old earth is gone. In an instant, it's gone. Now, we hear about global warming all the time, don't we? We hear about climate change and how all the world's going to be destroyed by mankind. I think mankind is thinking a little too highly of themselves. You know what God says in Psalm 104.5? You who laid the foundations of the world so they will not be moved forever. The only way this world is going to be destroyed is when God destroys it. There will be real global warming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10-13, through 13, you will see the day of the Lord. The heavens will pass away. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Now, did you catch that? The elements. 
That's all those little things on the periodic table that you see that holds this whole thing together. That's all gone. That's all melted with fervent. There will be global warming. For real. There will be real global warming. Now we've talked about who does the judging. Now we want to, say, we want to see this in verse 12 and 13. Who are those judged? That's what we want to know. Verse 12 and 13. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And notice this. The books, plural, were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, which is the key. You want to have your name in the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead. This is going to be significant in just a second. Who were in it. And death and Hades, this is the second resurrection, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. This is a works-based judgment. This will determine the degree of torment. More in just a second. So, this judgment will be for all unbelievers for all time. Daniel had a picture of a judgment in Daniel chapter 7, verse, 10, verse 9 and 10. This is his third vision. This is Daniel looking into the future. And notice what he sees. He sees something kind of similar to what we're seeing here today at the great white throne judgment. I watched till the thrones were put in place. And the ancient of days was seated. And I believe this is really speaking of the Father. His garment was white as snow, and his hair of his head was like pure wool. Now, Jesus is described this way in Revelation 1.14. His throne was a fiery flame. Talks about purity and judgment. Its wheels a burning fire can turn in any direction. And, came, and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. And watch this. A thousand thousands ministered to him, ministered to God. 10,000 times 10,000, oh, these are a different group, stood before him, the court was seated, and the books were opened. This sounds quite similar, doesn't it? It does sound quite similar. This judgment that we are seeing does not determine who are saved. That has already been determined. These are judged for not believing in God, not believing in Jesus Christ, rejecting, 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 and now they're at the great right throne. Unbelievers. Now think about this. Most of the world serves false gods. Billions, and literally billions and billions, billions in, in Hinduism, billions in, in Islam, serve false gods. They're trapped in godless religion. Many of the world serve the self-God, that would be humanism. There's, there's a growing number that serve the science God, or the God of atheism, the God of evolution. And there's also a growing number that we see even in our country that are serving the governmental God. The God that will give you what you want, just enough to get by, to make you constantly dependent and constantly angry. That's what the governmental God does. Remember, folks, hear this loud and clear. Zone in. It has never been about the evidence for God. There is ample evidence. It has always been about self-serving, hard hearts of humanity. Humans have this attitude. I want my way. I want my sin. You can't tell me what to do, God. And Jesus expressed it this way in, for, in, for, excuse me, in John 3.19. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. People love their sin. Even though it causes so much fallout and so much disaster, they still love their sins. And hear this, all rejectors of Jesus Christ have suppressed, held down, ignored the truth. 
Romans 1, 18 through 20 is very specific with this. For the wrath of God, the orge of God, the simmering, building up wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, who hold down the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, made known to them, is revealed to them. For God has shown it to them. How has God shown it to them? Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. It's not nebulous. Clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. No human has an excuse. No human has a cover. No human can put a cloak over and ignore this. The evidence for God, folks, is overwhelming. Theologians term what I just explained to you, general revelation. The creation screams there is a creator. The evidence for God is overwhelming. People deny this because they want to deny it. I've spoken to you about this guy in the past. His name is Blaise Pascal. He's a philosopher, a physicist. He's also a Christian. He says this, Most people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. I think I'll pick and choose what I find attractive. Doesn't matter if it's the truth. That's going to be my truth. That's what our culture does today. The evidence for God is overwhelming. Those who believe in evolution, I will ask you a question. Very simple. Can something come from nothing, and that something comes from nothing, have values or morals? Just ask you that question. Did this church just come from nothing? Over billions of years, did this just all come together and, and, form, and, and become a church? Think about this one. Take your watch. Take a sledgehammer. Burst it into a billion different pieces. Throw it all over the place. And in a billion years, all these little parts will come back together as a finely ticking timepiece. That is evolution. That is how silly it is. And ask yourself the next question. Ask yourself this. With billions of fossils, literally, billions of fossils, there's not one evidence of a transitional form meaning one kind going to another kind. Dogs make dogs, cats make cats, rats make rats. They might be different sizes, they might look different and all that sort of thing. But folks, there's been nothing that has transitioned to a higher order. You know what they do? They find a tooth. A tooth. And from a tooth, they extrapolate from that the missing link. And every time they've done that, it has been proven false. Over and over and over and over. There is no transitional forms. Or excuse me, there are no transitional forms. Let's do the King's English. There's, there's no scientific evidence for evolution at all. Creation screams a creator. Now listen to this. God has written his law on the hearts of every person. Every single human knows, according to Romans 2.15, what is right and what is wrong. God has given every human a conscience. Remember what that means? Con, with, shunts, knowledge. With knowledge, we either obey God or disobey Him. We know intuitively, inside our spirits, what's right and what's wrong. God has put it there. And then God has put eternity in the hearts of every person. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Every culture you go to, knows there's something else than this. They're looking forward to something. Science screams there's a creator. In his book, I Do Not Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Frank Turek, and actually Norman Geisler also wrote this, wrote several arguments. And I'm just going to give you a couple. Just a couple to think about. Number one is the cosmological argument. Quote, whoever created everything is self-existent. Didn't come into being, always existed, timeless, non-spatial, is outside of space, immaterial, infinite, all-powerful, and personal. Aren't you glad of that? 
that our God is personal. He chose to convert nothing in, nothingness into time, space, and matter. An impersonal force has no ability to make choices. Now, that's the cosmological argument. So people always say, you know, can you prove there's a God without the Bible? And I would go, no, I don't want, I'm not going to give you that, that, that ammo. I will prove there's a God with the Bible, but there's also evidence that without the Bible, you can demonstrate there is God. The teleological argument, God is supremely intelligent. Life in the universe is created with incredible complexity to support human life. Look, at everything out there is made for here. We have not discovered anything with all the telescopes and all the stuff. Now, you might be hearing about UFOs now and all that stuff. Look, I believe those are demonic entities coming in and out of our, our dimension. But there has been no evidence. Every time you see a UFO, it's a little dot, a little spot, a little... You never see... Show me some windows with some dudes behind the picture. I want to see something. Don't give me a little dot moving around in the sky. Crying out loud. Then there's the moral argument. God's unchangeable standard of morality is written in every human heart. And then listen to this one. He's got a whole chapter on this, the anthropic principle, which means this. The universe is extremely fine-tuned to support life. Oxygen is perfect. Any higher, any lower, we're dead ducks. Okay? CO2 is perfect. Carbon dioxide is perfect. Gravity is perfect. The atmospheric transparency is perfect. Folks, this all screams. There's a hundred of these. A hundred of these constants. And it, this whole thing just screams that there's a designer. You know what that designer calls himself? God. God. He is God. Man suppresses the truth and are without excuse. Now notice who appears at this great white throne judgment in verse 12. It says the small and the great will be there. What does that mean? All the big shots. All the kings. All the emperors. All the rich. All this, all who had great status here, all the paupers, all the way down, everyone's going to be there. All are judged fairly. There's no preference and there's no status with God. You must realize this. And they're going to be judged by their, book, by their works. The books are going to be open. And that tells me something. I think this is pretty important. God has a record of everything we have done. Isn't that just cheery? Yes. Every act, every thought, every motive, every intention of the heart will be weighed. Can you see why we'll be guilty if you're at that judgment? I need a sin bearer. I don't know about you, but every thought and every tension of my heart is not very good. I need a Savior. Every person will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are guilty as charged. Hebrews 4.13 makes this very clear. Nobody, no, no, nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. All things are uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him whom we must give an account. Those who knew more and rejected will be judged more harshly. Now this isn't in your notes, but Matthew 11.21-24, Jesus talks about Chorazin. The city of Chorazin. The city of Bethsaida. There were miracles done in those cities. Okay? Jesus did things that demonstrated who he was and they rejected him. And he makes this, this statement, which is amazing. It'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, evil cities, and Sodom than for you. Because you had the evidence and they didn't. The books will be open. Sin will be found. They'll be lacking a covering for sin and they'll be destined for the lake of fire. Tony Garland says this, being a righteous and just God, the degree of their sin will determine their relative degree of torment, but torment is still torment. Hear this truth. Those who never came to faith steadfastly rejected God. Please, no one can come unless the Father draws. A whole lifetime of Father drawing. The, the Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. A whole lifetime. 
the Holy Spirit convicting of that. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will also draw all men to myself. This has been happening all over. These people have rejected this. This is an act of rebellion. This is not a passive rejection. No slowly drifting away. It's an active rebellion against God. Romans 1.24 through 32 says this very well. It's a whole different talk. You're going to get the three-second version. God gave them over to their rebellion three times. This can happen to a human. This can happen to a nation. There comes a point when God says, no mas, no more with that person. God gave them over, number one, to the lust of their hearts. That's rampant sex outside of the marriage covenant. Folks, that was the 60s. Then they gave them over to vile passions. That's homosexuality. That started in the 80s. And now we have, they gave them over to a debased mind. Now, where do you think we are now in America? We're the debased mind, aren't we? I mean, you can't even think of the stuff that they want to bring into our, into our lives and say it's okay. Concerning rejectors in the second revelation, Revelation 20.13 is very descriptive when it says, the sea gave up its dead. Did you ever wonder why it says that? I mean, there had all kinds of burials at sea in World War II. Maybe a few thousand and that sort of thing. Okay? But think about the Great Flood. Think about the, some people believe there were billions of humans on earth. All of them rejectors of the true God. Only eight lived in the ark. Noah in the ark. The sea gave up the dead. That's a lot of folk. That's a lot of folks at the great white throne judgment. And death and Hades were delivered up, delivered up the dead. That's the second resurrection. There's billions of people here. Those judged at the great white throne are those who are lost. And their final abode, verse 14 and 15, the final abode of the, those judged will be the lake of fire. Verse 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were cast, Balo, thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was also cast, thrown into the lake of fire. Now, question for you. Why does anyone go to the lake of fire? Why the lake of fire? Because their names are not written where? In the book of life. In the book of life. Death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. Now, we've spoken about the book of life in the past. But those thrown into the lake of fire, think about this. Separated from God, from every vestige of good forever. It's everlasting. Anios is the word that Jesus used. Everlasting punishment. It's not temporary. It's everlasting. Forever experiencing torment. Lamenting their decision forever and ever. The book of life is something that you want to have your name indelibly plastered into. Your name is placed there when you were born physically in Psalm 139.16. Every human's name is there. Now, what must a person do to have their name retained there in the book of life? They must believe and receive the gift of salvation. Remember John 1.12. Yet all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. What a privilege. Children of God. Look at when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And he's, he's flattering Jesus. Oh, we know you're a great teacher, Jesus. And Jesus just cut right to the truth. He goes, oh, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus goes, what? How can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? How can a man be born again? Of... And Jesus said, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Folks, the Spirit of God comes in and gives life to our dead spirits. Ephesians 2.1, every human is born dead in their trespasses and sins. Every human has no life in them until Jesus' salvation allows the Spirit of God to come in and give us life. Give us life. That's what being born again is. It's not just a Christian cliche. You know, you must be born again. All you Christians are about born again. Yeah, you were dead. And we need life. 
And Jesus is the life giver. How is one's name removed from the book of, from the book of life? They must reject God's offer of salvation. Reject Jesus' death in their place. Over a lifetime. See, I don't believe that God comes once. I don't believe he comes twice. I don't know how often he came to your house, your temple, where you live. But he came a whole bunch of times to me. It's usually this, I don't want you, Jesus, or I don't want you now, Jesus. I will think about it later when I feel more ready for you, Jesus. Oh no, salvation is, is a movement of God. He determines, not us. I don't need you, Jesus. I don't want you. Hebrews 10.29 really expresses this, this feeling. Watch what it says. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose to those who have trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? How much worse punishment and make no mistake, that punishment is the word timoria. Timoria. It means vindictive punishment, payback, vengeance, wrath. Quite different than discipline. He whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he chastens, he nurtures and trains. But it also says he chases and scourges a son he receives. You know what a scourging is? They used to have something a long time ago. In the distant past, and it was called a spanking, where you actually, you spanked your child and, and you taught them right and wrong. This isn't abuse. It was something that was practiced years ago. It's been forgotten in our country today. No, the, the, scourging is something that God will do to you if you get out of line. You're his child. He loves you. In order to get you back in, in, in line, you will get a scourging. Now you determine how bad that licking is. You know, I want to learn right quick, Lord. Oh, I'm sorry. I, forgive me. You know, just own it and move on. Don't make up excuses. Please know this. The lake of fire will be a place of torment for both body and soul forever. This is the final abode and the final destiny of all who reject Jesus Christ. It can't be more sad than that. In closing, just some closing thoughts. Now, we, where are we in our prophecy timeline? Where are we? Well, we have Andy Wood's overhead here. So where are we in this timeline? So Jesus has come, rejected by the Jewish people. The time for the Jews has stopped, starting the church age. Now, the church now has the responsibility to disseminate information about the true God to the world. There will be a time when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, the last Gentile is saved, and I believe the rapture of the church will occur before the tribulation period. This seven-year tribulation period is designed for the Jewish people to recognize the Messiah that they rejected. They will, at the very end, when Jesus comes back, he will establish his thousand-year millennial kingdom, which we've studied in the past, and then there will be the great white throne judgment, which we are at now. And finally, in Revelation 21 and 22, we'll get information on the eternal state. The eternal state. I thought that was a, a good summation from Andy Woods. So the great white throne judgment will be frightening. It will be terrifying. Of course, the lake of fire is frightening and terrifying. But listen to God's cry. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said something in, in Mark chapter 9, 43 through 48, which I don't have time to read. And he's using hyperbole here. But he says, do anything not to go to hell, to the lake of fire. Do anything. If you have to, cut off your hand. Cut off your foot. Now, he's not saying everybody go around and do that. Okay, pluck out your eye. But he's using hyperbole to, to describe something that is so horrific. Don't go there. Whatever you do, don't go there. God's cry is quite simple. Acts 16.31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's his cry. And remember what believe is. Believe is more than just mental assent. Believe is the word pistio, 
And it means commit to, put your trust in, rely on Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your sin bearer. See, a person can believe. You can go to church and you can believe and you can say all the creeds you want. And, you know, Jesus was buried. He rose again. You can believe in the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection. But unless you personalize it, Unless you say, no, you did that for me, Jesus. I'm committing myself to you. I'm relying on you. I'm putting my trust in you. You just have information. You haven't done anything with it yet. You have to receive the gift of salvation. Something is happening today in our world, particularly in our country, and it's a rebellion against God. It's the eroding of biblical faith in America. George Barna comments on this. And he makes a statement. 26% of the Gen X and 16% of the millennials believe that when they die, they will go to heaven because they confess their sins and accepted Jesus as their Savior. Now, we've been through this before. And my question for you, and I hope it resonates in your mind, is what has happened to America? What has happened to America to become like the nations of the world? And I think you know the answer. The true God was kicked out of the mainstream of America. It started decades ago. Now, David Lane, he writes a a paper, a newspaper called the American Renewal Project. And he says this. The liberal Warren Court in 1953 to 69 envisioned freedom from religion. That's freedom from Christianity. Okay? Okay. The removal of the, uh, the court strategy was the removal of prayer and Bible from public education. Now, when I went to school, we said prayer. Okay? When I went to school, the Bible was honored. It was reverenced. But something changed when I got in about the sixth grade. And all of a sudden, there wasn't any of the stuff anymore. We're not going to do the prayer anymore. We'll still do the pledge, but we're not going to do the prayer. And something changed. I didn't realize what was happening. That's what happened. Prayer and Bible were kicked out. Remember, he who controls the mind controls the person's worldview. Control the mind. The Warren Court did the following. It opened the floodgates of religious secularism in America. And in the 60 years that have followed, watch the sequence of events. Prayer was removed in 1962. The Bible in 1963. That sets the stage. It, this, this, what I'm going to say next could not have happened if prayer and the Bible were not taken out of the centrality of America. It was the constitutional right to kill babies in Roe v. Wade. The mass murder of babies, which now were over 60 million in America. And then after that, in 1980, the Ten Commandments were removed. So now we have the Ten Commandments gone. We have the Bible gone. We have prayer gone. You know what happened in 2015? Could not have happened unless these things were taken out. Homosexual marriage was approved. And you know what's happening today? Transgenderism, lifestyles in children, three, five, eight years old, encouraged to change their sexual identity, their gender identity. Folks were born with a DNA of either male or female. That's who you are. That's the science. We're always talking about the science. That's the science. That's the science. Folks, it is wrong to tell a boy he's a girl and a girl he's a boy. Or tell a child they're a bird. I'm self-identifying as a bird today. That's who I, that is a lie. That is a lie. What has been the result is the demise of America. David Lane, quote, The spirit of America is starving. Her testimony for Christ is fading, and a period of fruitless backsliding has supervened. With a no-God attitude, what happens? It's a free free fall for lifestyles. It's a free-for-all for for lifestyles. It's whatever you determine right or wrong. Now, I want to suggest to you, I do not want Adolf Hitler determining for me for what is right or wrong. I do not want Stalin, and I do not want Lenin, and I do not want Mao, and I do not want Popat. All of these guys have been responsible for literally tens of millions of slaughtering deaths in our world. I don't want them determining what is right and wrong for me. I want God to determine what is right or wrong. With a no-God attitude, there's a, a free fall. 
Now, what are these deceived people missing? What are they ignoring? They're suppressing the truth of God. They're suppressing it. They have to suppress it. Folks, God is real. Heaven is real. Heaven is, hell is real. Death is sure. I don't care what you believe. You will face God one day. That is what the authority of the Word of God says. That is what Jesus promised. That will happen. You, it doesn't matter if you ignore it. That is the truth. All the brainwashing cannot change the truth. Another truth is this. The unbeliever's future is awful. It is just awful. Nobody needs to experience that. And God's cry is, don't, don't go down that road. And another truth is this. The believer's future is off the, off the charts wonderful. Think about this. Forever with God. Forever in, enveloped in the love of God. The presence of God. Forever enjoying God. Forever, and I've said this before, I think it's going to be so incredible, one new adventure after another. I mean, it's like climbing Mount Everest and having that exhilaration of that victory all the time, all the time. Something new, something new, something new. Forever in a state of shalom. You know, that means peace. But it's more than that. Fulfillment, well-being, joy, and on it goes. Forever dwelling with our God in the new Jerusalem. There's nothing like the presence of God. There's nothing like the presence of God. And by the way, you can experience that right here, right now. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this. And I, I would say, practice the presence of God. You know how you do that? It says, this is a command. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not because of all circumstances. There's a lot of circumstances that aren't fun and pleasant. They're awful. But in all circumstances. Why? This is, these three things... Because this is Christ will and this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. That is practicing the presence of God through all the stuff of life. That gives life meaning. For us today, know what is coming. Know what is coming. Don't panic. Don't watch the news and panic. Know what is coming. Know what to expect. What the world will be like prior to Jesus coming back. Remember, he gave us a heads up. It's going to be like the days of Noah. Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? It's what it's going to be like. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. Know what's going on around you. Please do not fall for the indoctrination. Do not be like the frog in the, in the kettle, getting slowly heated up, and just be apathetic as you die. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't cover your eyes and pretend it's not happening around you or it's uncomfortable to think about. No, things are not as they appear. Jesus said three times in Matthew 24, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. That's going to be a, the marker of the end of the age, deception. And then know this, and please hear this. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit rod of iron up your spine to allow you to stand through all of this adversity. Folks, it's just beginning. It's just beginning. Look at the rest of the world and how they live, how Christians suffer. But we must be like this guy right here. We want to stand like this dude. Remember, I just love him. A bull in the blizzard. I will not be moved. You will not move me from the centrality of Jesus Christ. Shema, O Israel. The Lord our God is one God. He is the one I will serve. I will not bow to the gods of this age. Period. Period. Be discerning. Be wise. Be alert. Be active and engaged. And folks, by all means, combat the lie with the truth. We are to see what's going on, judge what's going on according to the Word of God, and then act by speaking the truth. This is not a time to give in to the majority because it's comfortable. It's not a time for that. And remember this, it's doubtful that the majority have ever been right in history. Hopefully you are now more prepared to face the changes that we see in our world because we've been in a study of the prophetic word, Daniel and the book of Revelation. Folks, we have a beginning of a new world coming. Allow Jesus to speak to your soul. 
your thoughts, your feelings, your emotion. Allow him. Luke 21, 28. Jesus gave us a heads up. Now, when these things begin to happen, these things, this, these end time things, look up and lift up your heads. That's an emphasis. Please hear this. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. What does that tell me? I'm not going to go around discouraged with my lip on the ground. I'm going to look up. I'm looking up with expectancy. I'm not going to be distressed. It's like the kids at Christmas, an expectation. Oh, you have this one. Oh, it's Christmas again, huh? What are you getting me? What are you getting me? Or, or, the, or the believer that says, oh, you've been talking about this Jesus coming all this time. Remember what it says in, in Peter? When Peter says they've been talking about Jesus coming for all, all these millenniums of time, scoffers saying, where is the promise of his coming? Things continuing as there, as there are. How wrong can people be? We're marching headlong towards globalism. Headlong towards a one world government. That's why you've got to get Christianity out of the way. One world religion, one world government, a setup for the Antichrist. We want to have our heads lifted up as believers. Watch this next kid. This is us. I mean, Jesus is coming. I can't believe, this is amazing. And it's like, yes, yes. Lift up your heads. Have a little enthusiasm. Don't be walking around with our lips on the ground. Oh no. Oh no. The signs of the time scream Jesus is coming. And I want to suggest to you, if you listen closely, listen. Can you hear? You can almost hear the footsteps of Messiah. The signs are so clear, folks. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. And I just look for something that showed me these feet coming. And you have, you have Jesus' feet. I mean, I just love this picture. He's coming, folks. Listen. He's walking on the sand. You're going to have to listen closely. He's coming. Messiah is coming. He's getting closer. Folks, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. And Jesus is coming to reign as King of Kings. And there is a new world coming. And it's just around the bend. Let's pray. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us to study the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. Thank you that you have given us your word so that we know we have insight into what's going on. You've given us your word so that we will not be deceived when deception comes in. And it comes in so many, very, so many ways. And there's so many, God, in the church today that have bought into the deception. Oh, God, open their eyes. Open their eyes to who you really are. Help us to throw in our lot with you and not compromise to be like the world. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us today things that you want us to hear. Father, right now, I pray that if someone here does not know you as their Savior, if they've not made a commitment to you, if they have not said, I believe that you died for my sins, Jesus, and I receive you as my Savior, I commit my life to you. I rely on you. I will follow you, Jesus. I pray that happens today before someone leaves. If you feel God tugging at your heart, please do not leave until you have made that commitment to God. I believe in you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this time together as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.